0: This is the Mark Madden Unfiltered Podcast from the Bet Rivers Network. This is Mark Madden, and this is the Mark Madden Podcast on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Let's talk about a bet I made with Bet Rivers, of course. I bet $200 on Sidney Crosby to win the National Hockey League's MVP award. That's at plus $3,600. I bet 200 to win 7,200, and I think I got a chance. Right now, Sid has 11 goals and 18 helpers in 22 games. That's 29 points in 22 games. Sid ranks eighth in the NHL scoring race. He is 10 points behind McJesus, but that's going to be insurmountable because McJesus just scores and scores and scores. But it's worth noting that Sid leads the league in even strength points, which is quite amazing, and also an indictment of that Penguins power play, which needs to put Sid on the right half wall, A, to be better, and B, so he picks up some easy helpers because the puck always rotates through that spot, rotates through the right half wall, left half wall, up top, you keep moving the puck, you get points playing that spot. If Sid played the right half wall, as I've discussed frequently, he would get eight to ten extra points every year. But he plays down low because, A, he's good at it, B, it's for the better of the team, although not this year because that power play is fifth from bottom in the National Hockey League. So here's my MVP scenario. Sid finishes top five in scoring. He leads the league in even strength points or comes pretty close. The Penguins make the playoffs, and Sid gets the lifetime achievement MVP because he's been screwed so far. He's one of the top five players in hockey history, and he's got only two MVPs in 2007 and 2014. That's an absolute disgrace that he's only won MVP twice because you got dipsticks like Henrik Sedin and Corey Perry and Taylor Hall winning it in that time frame. Sid would have won 2011. If he hadn't been concussed in that Winter Classic, that cheap shot by Steckle in the game against Baltimore, he had 66 66 points in 41 games that year. Uh, He should have won in 2013, clearly, the lockout season, 56 points in 36 games. Patrick Kane won it that year, uh, and he actually had less points than Sid in more games, uh, Kane had 55 points in 47 games. How the frig does he get MVP? Sid should have won it in 2009-10 as well. 51 goals, 109 points. That's in 81 games. Henrik Sedin got it. I'd rather have one Sid than both Sedins. Sid had three less points, but 22 more goals. He absolutely should have been the MVP in 2009-10. I just feel like the NHL has always given Sid short shrift, even though he's been a top five player ever and one of the league's very few meal tickets. And to reemphasize, to make this dream come true and my bet a winner and Sid a three-time, three-time, three-time MVP, Sid needs more points on the power play. He needs to be on the right half wall and, like I said, get those rotation points. I'm joined down by my co-host Tom Offerman. Tom, uh, what are your thoughts on on Sid not just winning MVP this year, which I admit is a long shot, but not impossible, but having been screwed out of MVPs? On at least two occasions in the past.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of great players fall into that trap across all of sports, too, where they just become so great that their greatness is taken for granted. And then voters try to spread out the love a little bit and say, well, we could always give it to LeBron. We could always give it to Crosby, but other people deserve it, too. Right. And sports are about to are supposed to be fair. Right. That's what why we play them.
0: Well, yeah, but but this ain't fair. You're either most valuable or you're not. And Gretzky got a a ton of MVPs. I I talked about the one in 89 uh, where Lemieux had, like, what was it, 40-some-odd more points, and they were all goals. They still gave it to Gretzky. And, And they still gave it to Gretzky. So some are beneficiary, like I said, from lifetime achievement. And I think if Sid could, you know, get in the top five scoring, Penguins make the playoffs, I think at long last, I mean, you talk about fair, Tom, at long last maybe he could be beneficiary of that.
1: I just don't see how you could rob him of it if he does finish in top five, if he leads the league in even strength goals and the team success is there, because that's always so important in those awards. The team success has to be there. And frankly, if the Penguins season continues the way it has and they do sneak into the playoffs, he will be the main reason why they do. And he will carry that team to the playoffs, which is another, you know, box that he checks as far as the MVP race is concerned.
0: Yeah, I, I quite agree. Uh... I also think they got to get him on that right half wall on the power play for the sake of his stats and, more important, for the sake of the power play. It's just not working the way it is, Tom. For that power play to be fifth from bottom with that array of talent is just a disgrace.
1: Do you think that's the area where the Penguins show their stubbornness the most and their refusal to change?
0: Gee, that's a good question. I don't think there's any shortage of areas <laughs> where they show how stubborn they are, but that that's a big one. And, and that's not just stubbornness. That's acquiescing to Malkin, who wants to play there. Sid wants to play there, too. And Sid did play there for years and at Malkin's expense. But, like, Sid just wants to, I don't know, be the nice guy. He can justify it by, okay, I get things done down low that nobody else can.
1: And it's worked for a long time.
0: Yeah, and he does get stuff down low that nobody else can. But this power play is not working because it totally lacks organization. It lacks the Gontra. It lacks the Kessel. It lacks the Mario to just have a reset point.
1: And Sid's the perfect person to slip into that role and take it over.
0: I'm not even sure he'd be overwhelmingly good at it, Tom. But the
1: best option in your mind. Yes,
0: yes, for sure. One thing about Gino and Sid, as great as they both are, they're not great power play guys. They don't have that power play feel that, that like, you know, Mario did or Kessel did or Gonshar did or, for that matter, Alexei Kovalev did.
1: (laughs) Right, yeah, and... Again, I wonder if that's going to be the thing that holds Sid back as far as getting into top five in the point race because that's where the McDavid's and the Dreisaitl's feast is on the power play. They'll stack two points a game on the power play. So I worry that maybe his lack of power play production holds him back because I don't think they're going to change anything. I don't think you'll see him on that right half wall. I think they're going to stick with the power play the way it is and just hope it gets better.
0: I don't know. I, I don't know. If it's 10 games from now, it's not any better.
1: I don't know. Yeah, I mean, how would you not be able to change that? But then again, I've seen them be stubborn in a lot of other areas, like you said before, where you think, oh, it's reached the end of its rope, they have to change, and they just don't.
0: Well, hopefully Sid will get that MVP for the sake of, you know, me winning $7,200. Of course, that's thing. most important. Well, that's not most important, but it's it's a pretty darn close second to whatever <laughs> is. Now, uh, I got my first top three list here, and this concerns something that is uh, of, of utmost uh, importance to me. It's the upcoming movie, Cocaine Bear, (laughs) which is released on February 24th. And here are the top three things about the movie Cocaine Bear, which is based on a real story, by the way. Yes. About a bear who ingested a ton of cocaine, he found, and then went on a rampage, as a gacked up bear very likely would. (laughs) Okay, top three things. Number one, the poster. Have you seen the poster? It's beautiful. It's a bear exploding in cocaine. He's vicious,
1: he's snarling, and there's cocaine all around. The poster alone should win an Oscar. If you had to draw a bear that's high on cocaine, that's what the bear would look like.
0: Maybe that was a photograph. We don't know. Okay, number two, it's Ray Liotta's last movie. What a grand farewell. I think it'll be remembered as his best movie. Forget about Goodfellas. Cocaine bear. Cocaine bear. bear.
1: Numero uno. I can't wait to find out what character he plays in the movie. Is he like a local sheriff, maybe, that tracks down the bear? Maybe he's
0: Henry Hill and he sold the bear the cocaine from his Pittsburgh connection.
1: That's more like...
0: Uh, and number 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 three, like I said, it's based on a true story. A black bear gacked to the gills on Krell. You can't beat that. I mean, like, how could this not have been made a movie of sooner?
1: No, it's tremendous source material, and you're exactly right. How did they sit on this when it's just sitting right in front of you for so long? I couldn't think of a better true story.
0: Now, in that vein, have you seen the trailer for that '90s show? Not yet. I saw it just before uh, we taped this. It's it's it's. It's red and kitty. I like I don't know how good yeah. the kids are gonna be, but red's still red, you know foot in the ass, you know his, his, his granddaughter like he's telling the kids what they can and can't do in the basement and he says no dancing and she says, you're just like the guy from Footloose and she starts laughing and he doesn't laugh at all, just that red look and she turns to the other kids and goes, no dancing. So it, it looks it looks very promising. It's uh, going
1: to be fan service, right? For those that loved that 70s show, it's going to tickle you in that nostalgia spot.
0: You know what's weird, though? Here, here's one thing, and it's a first glance. The kids look like geeks. Okay. The kids in the 70s show weren't geeks.
1: No, they were the burnouts, right?
0: Well, you had one burnout. Like I guess Eric was kind of geeky in an all-American way.
1: That's true. He loved Star Wars. You had
0: two hot girls in the basement. Yes. You had the foreign kid. Kelso was the anti-geek, obviously. He was the totally cool kid, but also was an idiot.
1: Yes, and then how was your pothead burnout.
0: But then again, we shouldn't forget that, that the 90s had a whole different set of stereotypes for kids.
1: That's true, so it'll be interesting to see if they, and they will, I'm, I'm sure, stick true to those 90s stereotypes and maybe, like you did when you first watched that 70s show, point things out and be like, I remember when that happened in the yep. 70s, you'll yep. do the same for this in the 90s. Which is the whole
0: goal of the show, yeah, to right. connect with people from that era. Correct. Now, uh, we... we Put off talking about the Steelers because let's face it, who cares? who cares? They're four
1: and seven. Stick a fork in them.
0: Uh but but uh, one thing that was pointed out on Twitter uh by a member of the media, you can't just be neutral on Kenny Pickett. If you say he's great, you know, then you're a cheerleader. Yep. You get you get criticized for that. If you say he sucks, then you know you're a hater. But if you ride the middle ground, you will be pushed into the other group by the one group. Does that make any sense? If you hate a little, the cheerleaders say you're a hater. If you cheerlead a little, the haters say you're a cheerleader.
1: Yeah, and as often is the case with such a polarizing topic like Kenny Pickett has been, the middle ground is the correct ground right now. He's been getting slightly better, I think, in the second half after the bye week. He doesn't turn the ball over, which is nice. And I think last night against the Colts, recording this on Tuesday, I think it was his best game of the year. But people taking a victory lap over it really bothered me, because he played okay, and I would give him maybe above average, but he didn't play great by any stretch of the imagination. He missed a lot of throws. He only threw for like 174 yards. We
0: had a career-high quarterback rating. It was like 87.5. Right. You know, Ben last year was on his deathbed, and his quarterback rating was higher in more than half the games. And this was Pickett's best game.
1: So, uh, it's just annoying that the one side, oh, he's great, he can do no wrong, he's the next one, and what a great game he played against the Colts. I could probably name four or five more Steelers that had more of an impact in that game than Kenny Pickett. But then Benny Snell football! Yeah, Benny Snow. Where did that come from? But then again, he played well, and that's the problem. Now... Like we were saying for weeks, you know, when's he gonna play a good game? When's he just gonna show something and play serviceable quarterback play? Now he has, and people were like, See, see, we told you he was great. You were hating all along, we saw it the whole time. And they're just being disingenuous and dishonest. Well,
0: and not only that, he he wasn't great.
1: No. He at threw all. for
0: a buck seventy-four, no touchdowns. I just refuse to get excited about that. I will say, if you want me to point at something tangible, and how about after the game TJ Watts talk about his Moxie? How about your Moxie? Where's the sacks? Uh, overpaid, overhyped, maybe still hurt guy. Uh, but uh, but I felt like Pickett used the pocket better, felt around there, and didn't run away from pressure that wasn't there.
1: Yes, ever since the Saints game, uh, a big criticism was he kept dropping his eyes in the pocket and feeling the pressure, or not feeling the pressure, excuse me, and looking for the pressure instead of looking downfield. And I think ever since that Saints game's in the past two games, he's improved on that tremendously. He keeps his eyes downfield, he adjusts the pocket, But the thing that really bothers me, and maybe this is something that can get worked out with more time and more comfortability, but he misses a lot of open receivers. A lot of open receivers. And again, that could be a young thing, and you get more comfortable with the game, and the game gets slower as you go on, but accuracy isn't always something that you improve on in the NFL. It's rare to be a Josh Allen and get really good at that in your NFL career.
0: Well, somebody on Twitter said, Kabali said, that Pickett's got 100 passes now without interception. So I responded, how many without a touchdown? And it's not 100, but it's not that many less. And um, Pickens got a hand on that one throw – and it was probably catchable in the end zone. Yes. But but I thought it, a, a good throw, it's an easy touchdown. He's wide open.
1: Wide open. There was a couple of passes, too, where I saw Deontay Johnson break towards the sideline, and the ball just sailed out of bounds, and he would have been wide open there. So, again, that's stuff that you point to and you worry a little bit about, but yeah, you can't but De- get too worried about Deontay it. Deontay
0: dropped that one in the end zone where he was, like, would running backwards. Why is he running
1: backwards? I don't know, but that's a, a... And
0: then and there was another play where he caught the ball and literally ran and backwards. And then he literally
1: ran and lost three yards. Yeah. That, the play in the end zone that he dropped, that's what you pay a guy $18 million, that's what you give him a second contract to do, to make catches like that, that a number 1 wide receiver should make.
0: Uh, If I have one big bitch about that game, from a Steelers perspective, why do their special teams stink? You got that guy comes out at the start of the second half, returns the ball, what is it, like 89 yards? Like he was almost in the first row of the stands, that's how far he ran it back, and they got a touchdown that got right back in the game. Now, you know, Danny Smith's been the special teams coach for nine years. He's a yes. cartoon character. And they have all these guys that I'm told are special teams specialists, like Derek Watt and... Uh,
1: like Akilabrew or something. Yeah, like that. Yeah, Killebrew
0: and uh, Marcus Allen. Benny Snell, football,
1: too, yeah, is a special why teams Why aren't
0: they better if they have all these guys that are so good at special teams?
1: I don't know. I tend to think that special teams really comes down to coaching maybe more than other areas on the field because you're just a hodgepodge of people, right? You're taking from the defense, you're taking from the offense, you're taking from skill position players, and you're putting them on kick coverage, you're putting them on punt coverage, and you have to coach them up as in addition to what they're learning in their offensive duties and their defensive duties. So I do think it just comes back to Danny Smith, and he's just not a very good special teams coach. Maybe he was at one point in his career at Washington, uh, at the beginning in Pittsburgh, but they've been bad for years now. And Tomlin's in the post game talking about how you know special teams was a disaster. The game changed because of that kickoff return to start the second half. Uh, that gave them all the momentum. Uh, then make a change at that coaching spot. Why is he continued to stay in this team? He's,
0: he's a local guy. He has Pittsburgh ties. And he chops the
1: gum really hard on the to sideline. Central Catholic. He's got moxie, Mark, on the sideline. Yeah, as a coach. he's got
0: moxie. I'll give you moxie. Uh, how about Jeff Saturday's clock management at Game's End? Brutal. Now, to be fair, as has been pointed out, he wasn't necessarily worse than a lot of other coaches. Like, clock management, I- I'm fond of saying there's one coach in history who was great at clock management, and that was Mike Shanahan. And everybody else has been far less.
1: Doesn't that surprise you? Like, don't you think that's something that they should be able to master after a year or two on the job?
0: Probably. Well, master, that's... that's You'll make a a
1: mistake from time to time.
0: Yeah, I I think it's tough on the sideline with the bullets flying. It's true. It was like Jeff Saturday thinks he'll start the next game with the extra timeouts he saved.
1: But he's not unique. Like, on Thanksgiving Day, I watched Dan Campbell and the Lions try to drive down the field against the Bills and just refuse to call timeouts as I watched the time bleed off the clock. And let's not act like Tomlin managed the clock like a savant in the first half either. Why was he calling those timeouts so early? You gave the Colts a chance at a field goal. Luckily, it was blocked.
0: Let's not act like the Steelers didn't play considerably worse in the second half, too. And it happened against Cincinnati, and that's coaching.
1: What's the adjustments, right? That's
0: the lack of adjustments, or at the very least, the other coach, Jeff Saturday in this case, being one step ahead of you on the adjustments. Yikes.
1: That's not good. How about the uh, TV feed picking up Colts players yelling out, It's the same play! It's the same play!
0: I'm not sure what to say. <laughs> was it the same play? I'm assuming it was. Oh, it was. And they stuffed it. If I'm Kenny Pickett, I'd, I'd go like, look, F this at the line. I, I don't care if I'm a lot of audible or not. They're not going to make an ass out of me by yelling out what play it is.
1: He has more power than Canada. The franchise is more invested in him. Why can't he give double middle fingers to Canada and say, no, I'm not doing that play. I'm doing mine.
0: Oh, like Stone Cold Steve
1: Austin. <laughs> That'd be great if he literally did it like up at the booth, like when <laughs> the call came in.
0: That would be great. Okay, let's go to uh, the five guys segment. What do you got today, Tom?
1: All right, five guys are five guys. They're athletes who made a just terrible mistake, an absolute blunder that cost their team a game, even a championship. Oh, in there's some so cases. many of these. There's so many of these. We're
0: going in ascending order. We're
1: going in ascending okay, order. Okay, for the
0: purpose of not confusing me, let alone the audience, call the first one number five. You got it. No, go literally ascending.
1: F- number five, Tony Romo. Fumbled field goal snap, chip shot field goal, 19 yard line versus the Seahawks in the wild card game in 2006.
0: See, I don't even remember that. And wasn't the snap bad?
1: No, it was a great snap. He just like, he kind of caught it and then dropped it. And then he tried to pick it up and put it back down again and then realized, oh crap, I'm done. He picked it up, tried to run for the first down and got killed. That was the year that Romo was the wonder kid. Like he came in after I think it was Kitna got hurt. So he was still holding the snaps on field goals because that's what he did all year before he became the starter. You don't want to change that up mid-season, so to keep continuity, they kept him there, and he ended up costing their season.
0: I gotta boo that one because I don't remember it. Who's number four?
1: You'll remember this one: Zinedine Zidane headbutt in the World Cup. Red card sent off. Italy got to play with a man advantage. Ended up winning in PKs.
0: Yeah, Marco Materazzi. He buried him with the headbutt. Oh my god! Apparently, Materazzi uh, insulted Zidane's
1: mother. Well, then you should get headbutt for that.
0: <laughs> I don't think the ref saw it that Maybe way. Maybe it should have been a yellow card. Especially, you know what made that even even better, even more cinematic. Zidane got that huge, Sunny Liston-sized Mott oh, Rushmore yeah. head with like the biggest forehead in history. That
1: forehead did some damage.
0: That, he, like you could almost feel Materazzi's chest cavity explode. I'm surprised he lived.
1: Zidane went on to become like one of the best coaches, right? Like, didn't he rack up Champions Leagues with Madrid, or well, is it just easy yeah, to win with Madrid? He, had,
0: he, he, he had. I mean, was a good coach, but he had checks written for him. Like that Madrid thing. Same with Man City. I always wonder how good a coach you are when you have the bottomless pit of money. I'm not discrediting. I'm just wondering.
1: All right. These next three are the holy trinity in my mind. Number three, Bill Buckner, 86 World Series. No question. I'm surprised that's not number one. You'll know know why when we get to number one.
0: Yeah. um, It's sad that it took him so long to live that down, particularly in Boston. Yeah. Because he should not have been in there. Okay. Uh, really? Yeah. Dave Stapleton was was their usual defensive sub at first base late in games because Buckner was a was usually was you know in the first part of his career was an outfielder. Okay. With the Dodgers, and don't get me wrong, he was a creditable first baseman. But, but Dave Stapleton, he was a great bat. Right. Before anything. They didn't follow their usual procedure,
1: and it cost he, and him. it
0: cost him, exactly right. So and don't don't no mistake, Buckner did make the error. I mean that yes. he should have put that ball in his back pocket.
1: Yeah. No question. I know you don't watch Curb your enthusiasm, but there's a great episode where Buckner's on it and they make fun of the whole thing and he like kind of comes out on Buckner's top of actually it. on it. Yeah, he, he does not, the episode. I'd like to see that. It's a good episode.
0: Is it is it better or worse than Keith Hernandez on Seinfeld?
1: I think it's better. Really? I think it's better because it's, it's just such a great redemption arc for for Buckner.
0: Okay, I'll buy that.
1: Number th- or excuse me, number 2, Chris Weber, 93 National Title Game, timeout <laughs> against North Carolina.
0: Especially, I remember watching that. That was back when I cared about like college basketball yeah. a little bit.
1: Well, it's the national title game, too. Right,
0: right. I remember, at first, nobody realized what had happened. <laughs> right. Because, like, wait, isn't he, how, wait, huh? And then and then they called it, you know, the technical. Yeah. And, you know, game basically over. Right. I mean, how could, how could you not know that? How could you be allowed to not know that?
1: yeah, I mean, is that bad coaching or that I, I guarantee you the coach said something in the huddle before they broke. We have no timeouts. Don't call a timeout. But again, like you said with the coaches managing the clock in the football, it's so different when the bullets are flying like that. You get that rebound if you're Chris Weber? No,
0: no, this is worse than clock management because there's no, you know, doubt. You just don't have a timeout.
1: All right. Number one, Andres Escobar own goal ninety four World Cup versus USA. Yeah.
0: Well, you see, here's the thing. He paid for
1: it with his life. That's he why I get put it killed. number one. Yeah. Well,
0: you know, you know, the reason he, he he didn't get killed. They did that show on ESPN, the two Escobars. Yes. But you know, he didn't get killed by the Escobar gang. No, that was, was a deceiving title. It was another gang. Uh, they who, were
1: just mad that they lost the World Cup, right?
0: There was some sort of like some sort of give and take between him and somebody in a, in a nightclub. But yeah that's why i mean if he had if 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 he hadn't put the own goal in the net he lives right and he was going like he was finally getting a big money overseas transfer i think to ac milan he was a really good you know defender young and up and coming yeah yeah so that was probably the most costly literally
1: that's why i put a number 1 he literally everybody else just lost the game he literally lost his life because of it I'm,
0: try- I'm trying to think of some some that were in that vein uh you know what the original one was uh, This is when you could use the word boner in a headline and and nobody cared. I want to say it was the 1900s. It was tradition back then that if you're on base and the winning run scores in baseball, you just leave the field. If if there's a walk-off, you literally walk off. Okay. Okay, so the New York Giants were playing the Chicago Cubs, winning run on third at the Polo Grounds in New York, single to the outfield. And uh, the run scores, and the base runner on first was a guy named Fred Merkel. Okay? And back then, you didn't bother to touch second. Right. You just left the field. Because the game's over. We walked off. But there were two outs. The Cubs got the ball and touched
1: second. Before the run crossed or after the run crossed? But but it
0: doesn't matter. It's a force play.
1: Okay, because they're... Okay, yeah, runner on first. It's a force
0: play. They could have touched second base the day after, and it's still a force play. Right. That's a pretty
1: bad one. So
0: the... Well, but, but by the same token... Back then, everybody did it.
1: Right, but he forgot how many outs there were.
0: No, no, no. They even did it with two outs. Nobody ever
1: caught anybody huh. on it. It was
0: just kind of like one of those things that you do.
1: And then whenever the Cubs touched the bag, the ump decided to call them out.
0: Well, no, the, the ump didn't know what to do, and they ended up replaying the game. Wow. Okay, and... The entire game. The entire game. <laughs> and I, I believe... That's what I think happened, but at any rate... Uh, the Giants wound up losing the dependent to the Cubs by one game. Wow. Cuz the Cubs won the one that only won that game. The yeah. rematch game. So like that was like the headlines Markle boner costs Giants. Which sounds like a a, a porn film now. <laughs> but yeah, just that's was the headline. So so that was the original one of what you're talking about.
1: I think the one that everybody remembers too that's not involving an athlete is obviously Bartman, right? Jumping over the or reaching over the fence to grab the ball from Moises Alou. Yeah,
0: and he got hard done by anybody would have done that. You know who the real villain was in that? Moises Alou. Yes, because he made such a demonstrable, demonstrable fuss over.
1: It. Yeah, there you remember the old sports science they did on Sports Center. Yes, they did one where they showed that play, and the percent chance that Alou had to catch the ball really was like 15 20 percent. Like right. it was not a very catchable ball. Uh, he right. probably wouldn't have come down with it anyway. And on top of that. A play earlier, they had an easy out, or maybe it was a play after, but their shortstop, who was a gold glover, just booted it and made an error. But no one remembers that. It's always about Bartman.
0: Plus as soon as they found out that Moises Lou Yordates on his own hands oh, to prevent yeah, blisters, disgusting. I can't take I can't take him seriously. Okay, good top five. Um uh, my second top three list, here are my radical theories I would use in hockey. Like if if my team, you know, trailed or was crappy like <laughs> like like in football too, I have them for football. Like if, if I my team was crappy in football. I would go for it on fourth and anything less than four, anywhere outside my own twenty-five.
1: Okay, I like that. What do you got to What's lose? What's the point?
0: And I would go for two on every touchdown.
1: Yeah, like I like on Sunday of this week, the Jags going for two against the Ravens yeah. to win the game. You have nothing to lose. You're not going to the playoffs.
0: Not only that why would you, if you're going nowhere, why would you want
1: to stick around and play overtime? Right, my exactly. God, I, just end it or don't end it.
0: Yeah, like if I'm, I'm like, Trevor Lawrence completed a pass right. Yes. If I don't see anybody, I just throw the ball in a stand and say, let's get out of here. <laughs> Game over. Okay, so here are my radical theories in hockey. Top three. Only two are real radical. One is if down in the third period by more than two goals, actually by more than one, like say halfway through, even fifteen minutes left, selectively hang a forward at the far blue line. You know, if you're down three nothing, you gamble four nothing to get to three to one.
1: Just have them kind of cherry pick back there. Just have feed him them, not kind
0: of, exactly do just that. Feed them yeah. pucks
1: every time you get the turnover, just right and up there. Don't have them
0: break to the blue
1: line. Have them stand at the blue line. I like that. Just camp out there, kind yeah. of like in lacrosse. Like an attack player can't cross midfield; he just sits there and waits. And what you do is, uh,
0: not to think this out too too specifically, <laughs> but but you rifle the puck off the boards hard, and it, it, you know it shouldn't slow down much, and that gives him a chance to read it and skate to it.
1: Right, get some momentum going when he yes, picks up the puck. Exactly, exactly. I like it.
0: I would try, like I said, I would just try that if I were down by two or three in the third period.
1: Yeah, what do you have you to know, lose? Because they
0: they they took away the, the they allow two line passing. That's you right. know one development. That another one is uh, if down more than two by at any point uh, later than halfway through the game, attack on the penalty kill. Element of surprise, sneak sit out there. Have, have have one of your guys give five on three in your zone and hang a guy at the blue line.
1: So, they kind of have like a powerful counterattack. Like, the second you get the puck, don't clear it, possess yes. it, and move it up the ice. I'll give path. you a case
0: in point. In 1988 89, Mario Lemieux scored 13 shorthanded goals, which is still an NHL record. You know what the Penguins used to do? Paul Coffey told me this story. He said, if you got on the puck with a little bit of time in your zone, okay? Yeah. Fire a slap shot at the at the opposing point man's shin pads. Like, shoot as hard as you can right at him, and Mario reads the carom.
1: And then picks up the puck and he's gone. Yeah,
0: right, exactly. <laughs> and Koff goes, Kof goes, I'd have to check the video, but that worked, worked more than you'd think by hearing it.
1: If there's anybody that could maybe do that, it's maybe Sid.
0: Exactly. And, and here's one. It, it's radical from the Penguin point of view. Uh, have variations on the power play. Do shoot and crash on one power play, set up behind the net like Gretzky two on one power play. Do EJ's pick and roll. And by the way, they should have him work with the power plays, the best power play mine in history.
1: And he'd I, do it, you think, right? Like if they asked him to?
0: I'm sure he would. I mean, yeah. I don't know if I don't know if he'd get out there on the ice at his age, but he could Maybe he draw could.
1: something on a board for yeah. him.
0: Yeah. Or he could use like he's always done with me, the ketchup and salt shakers and stuff. <laughs> That's
1: exactly how he should do you, it. You yet. haven't
0: you haven't lived until <laughs> you've seen that. And, and you can understand it perfectly too. It's right. amazing. Uh, you know, maybe you find something that works if you experiment, as opposed to just going out there like like these mopes and doing the same thing and it don't work ever.
1: What about variation, not just tactically, but personnel wise too? Maybe throw a different guy out there on the first peak power play. Or you like to keep the same five? Well,
0: I I would do that, but I don't see who you do that with here.
1: And Pittsburgh, yeah, there's not that much depth.
0: One thing, the loss of Hornquist has hurt them on the power play. I mean, the front of the net guy. I mean, it was time for him to go in terms of. You know, not being a top six anymore and, right. you know, getting fourth line minutes. But, you know, he does that role in Florida. Um, another thing that I see guys try now, this isn't quite in the same vein, you'll see guys at the point now, shooting the puck off the backboards to front of the net. Yeah. It, it, they're doing that more and more. I like it. Yeah. We we, we did that. It's different with the ball. Right. We did it bounces that. more, right. We did that in deck hockey all the time. You get a truer bounce. Right, but like we would, we you know, you'd come down the wing, and you'd, you if if you were just right, you could rifle the puck off the backboard to the other side.
1: And the, like, what's the Ball, goalie, what's rather. the goalie do about that? Like, what how is he gonna? What's a defender do about that? What's a goalie do about that? Like get hit. You might say make the save, get in front of the puck, but it's gonna be hard to do.
0: We had a play. I shouldn't say we, but these these guys I coached from Reading, PA, invented it. Their original team was the Rats, so everybody called it the Rat Play. You, you get you get the ball. You get it with the puck, too. Brian Propp for the Flyers used to do it, and some of the Penguins' Checo guys used to do it. You get the puck, and you skate behind the net. You need a little time. Yeah. Not a lot, but you, you skate behind the net, and the minute you get past the goalie's line of vision, he starts to turn his head. You drift it, the puck back this way, but you don't break your momentum. You keep going so he senses that you're moving to the other side of the net. And every once in a while, you get a backdoor tap-in with nobody standing there. No one's there. there. Right, exactly. Uh. Well... I don't think we talked enough about Kenny Pickett, Tom.
1: Uh, he played okay. Uh, what more can you say? Not that's, great, not bad.
0: That's not what you're allowed to say. You have to hate or or praise. <laughs> that's Tom Offerman. I'm Mark Madden. It's the Mark Madden Podcast on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Catch new episodes of Mark Madden Unfiltered every week. Available on the Bet Rivers Network, BetRivers.com, and wherever you find your podcasts.